It's David Wright, expert on family money cash flow solutions here. And Carolyn Mose, leading certified spending planner here. And welcome back. This is episode two of our special podcast series that is focusing on how to take control of your day-to-day finances and succeed with your money using a unique and proven system. If you haven't had the opportunity to listen to episode one yet, where we spoke about the underlying reasons as to why people lose control of their finances, make sure you take the time to do that because it's loaded with lots of great information. To get access to more of our podcasts, go to spendingplannersinstitute.com forward slash podcast. And here you'll also find additional resources to help you take control of your day-to-day finances and have success with your money. Today in episode two, we'll be speaking about how you can take control of your finances. And in episode three, because we don't want you going back into money stress or repeating any of your past bad habits once you've escaped, we'll be speaking about how to stay in control of your finances and grow. And don't forget our special bonus episode, Why Budgeting Sucks and Spending Planning is the Only Unique and Proven Solution to Everyday Money Challenges. You really need to listen to this one because it's breakthrough information you won't get anywhere else. This episode explains in detail the principles behind spending planning and it'll help you to get really clear on why all those budgeting apps and systems that you might have tried in the past are next to useless if you really do want to take control of your money. So let's dive into episode two, how you can take control of your finances. (laughs) Okay, let's get started. It's exciting. Earning money, spending money, stressing about money, borrowing money, paying money back. This all takes over too many hours of our lives. If you talk to anyone with debt and they'll mention that they feel overwhelmed by it, stressed by it, and afraid that it may be a permanent part of their adult life. That's the emotional cost of debt, the overwhelming hopelessness. But it doesn't have to be this way. Today, we are going to share our eight-step process to overcoming everyday money problems. But before we delve into each of them, I just wanted to let you know quickly what these eight steps are. Number one, don't procrastinate. Two, uncomplicate. Three, create a clean slate. Four, negotiate. Five, consolidate. Six, calculate and contemplate. Seven, separate. Eight, congratulate and celebrate. (laughs) Carolyn, I love the way these eight steps all end with eight. (laughs) So there's eight (laughs) all the way through all eight of them. Oh, yeah, David, you're so pathetic. Yeah, well, just saying, (laughs) you know, like there's lots of eights in there. There are lots of eights. Okay, so to refocus, today we'll be talking about these eight steps. But for more detailed information, you can also download a free e-guide by going to spendingplannersinstitute.com forward slash free hyphen resources. Okay, Carolyn, this is going to be a really interesting topic today for anyone who is perhaps feeling the helplessness of money stress. I can't think of anything more depressing or stressful than feeling like you're going round in circles and going nowhere fast with your finances. And I think it will also be just as relevant and interesting for anyone who simply wants to do better with their finances than they currently are. Okay, so I think a really good place to start would be, you know, what's the score? How, how big a problem is money stress, Carolyn? You know what, David? It is a huge problem. 
A recent report from AMP states that two in five Australians are battling financial stress with an increase in sick days and time spent in the workplace dealing with money issues. More than 50% of Australians deal with financial stress on a daily basis and 85% say it impacts their well-being. The interesting statistic, I think, is the fact that 40% feel embarrassed by their debt. Yeah, that's and incredible. You know, I know. And actually, I just want to share a quick story of a client who came to me. She was in a terrible spot. She had 12 different credit cards and personal loans. Yeah. She had almost $180,000 in personal and credit card debt. And she was embarrassed. She had been to a well-known budgeting service provider who actually turned her away after working with her and taking her money for two years, saying they could no longer help her. Thankfully, she then found Spending Planners Institute and she found me. I'll tell you a little bit more of her story through today's podcast, but it was a really good outcome that we achieved for her. Wow. 180 grand. That's just incredible. Makes me angry to think that the banks would actually let someone get that far into unsecured debt. I mean, it just, just doesn't seem right. And something needs to change. I know, David. And you know, the thing is, you know, some people would say, well, that's just irresponsible. How did she get into that amount yeah. of debt? But, but life happens, you know, and for her, it was just a case of a multitude of life events that snowballed to create this amount of debt. Mm. What happened to her could have happened to anyone. Mm. All right. Well, it's a perfect time then to start going through the eight simple steps that we've put together to get rid of any debt and take control of your finances. I think that anyone who is listening, regardless of where they're at, will really benefit from this simple process. Um, and by the way, Carolyn, are these the same steps that you use for that particular client that we're talking about here today? Yeah, absolutely. And do you know, our first step is exactly what she did. She had got to the end of her tether. She didn't know where else to turn to. And so one day she just woke up and said, you know what? I have to solve this. And our first step is don't procrastinate. procrastinate. <laughs> don't procrastinate. <laughs> absolutely. Don't procrastinate. If you're in debt, the longer you leave this festering store to fester and grow, the worse it's going to get. And that's not good. Interest isn't going to go away. The banks, the credit card companies, whoever it is you owe the money to, when they've got you in the headlock, they're not going to let you go because they're loving the fact that you're just paying them interest and interest and more interest. The longer you leave it, the worse it's going to get. So absolutely don't procrastinate. Yes, and it's literally that. So many people, when it comes to money, will just stick their head in the sand and go, too hard, can't deal with it. Or they're simply too embarrassed to let anyone know how bad things really are. Yeah, look, embarrassment is definitely a big cause of procrastination because you know, nobody wants to admit to anybody that they're, that they're in the situation. So, yeah, I mean, it really is a big issue. And I guess another reason is because nobody likes the pain of family arguments and conflict. So the moment we recognise that our partner isn't on the same page or that there doesn't appear to be any easy solution to the problem or the, the deadlock, perhaps is a better way to call it, that's occurred, it all becomes too hard and, you know, you just stop talking about it and so you just procrastinate. So the first thing is draw a line in the sand and say, right, today we're going to do something about this. Absolutely. Okay, so the second step. Okay, second step. So once you've decided you're actually going to do something, get rid of the procrastination and take action, the next step is to uncomplicate. All right, look, I remember back when I used to work with clients, coming across people who had been 
to you know, the local mortgage broker, the local financial planner, the local self-proclaimed money guru. And they'd have 15 bank accounts and there'd be money getting shuffled here, there and everywhere. When I asked them to explain to me what this was all supposed to do, they had absolutely no idea. It was just way too complicated. And they're going, but, but I need to use this card for this and that card for that. And I've got to pay that out of there. And I'd say to them, so is that working for you? Uh, well, obviously not, because that's why we've contacted you. Yep, literally. Uncomplicate. And we have three simple steps to uncomplicate. And I often speak at different events quite often. And one of the things I say is if you take nothing else away, and I'll say this to our listeners today, if you take nothing else away from this podcast today, take step two with you and do something with it because uncomplicate simply means look at how your money currently flows. We have a model that is simply three bank accounts. Really simple. Really simple. So. Tell us about the first bank account, David. Okay, so over the years as I've developed the program the spending planners use, one of the things that I realized was that if you've got one bank account where all your money goes, you've just lost control before you even start because you've got unpredictable things, you've got life-throwing curveball, that you kind of things all happening in amongst things that are really predictable. Not a good situation. Exactly. You know, I have this saying that says control what is controllable and the uncontrollable won't take control of you. Now, that might sound like a bit of a tongue twister, but what I'm saying there is if you have an account where you deal with the transactions in your life that you know you can control, which is your bills, we all pay the phone, the insurance, the electricity, the car registration, all, all those things that we all call bills, they're predictable. So therefore they're fairly controllable. Um, so you need an account for those. And I know, Carolyn, you say that money is sacred. Yep, I say that's our sacred money account. And I always say to my clients, and you're right, you know, you need to control what's controllable. And we, we actually have a list of 12 essential transactions that we expect everyone will have. Everyone will pay their registration and their electricity and their insurance, insurance. <laughs> and their rent and their mortgage. You know, we all buy food and we all put fuel in the car, all those sorts of things. So let's have an account. Let's call it our sacred money account. Now, what happens with that account? All your income goes into that account and your predictable regular bills come out of that account. And we say to our clients, Set them all up as direct debits so your bills get paid. You don't even have to think about it. Absolutely. I, I have another saying that says money should be a silent partner rather than a nagging dictator. <laughs> yep. Money should not be something that consumes a lot of your energy. You should have your money set up so it's on automatic pilot and it doesn't take up a big part of your life. And that also gets away from a lot of the stress too. Yep. So that's our first account, sacred money account. So then our second account. Yep. So, so the second account is what I call a triple FI account. Triple FI stands for food, fuel, fun, and incidentals. Most people would just think, yep, they're my weekly living expenses. So you've got to have groceries. You've got to have fuel in your car. If you drive to and from work, you've got to have money every week to live your life. And if you don't separate it from the bills account, then it's like this cookie jar that you're forever dipping into and you don't really know when to stop taking out the cookie. <laughs> so basically we set up a separate account and I can't tell you the number of people who said to me, and this might seem surprising, 
just setting up that account, nominating an amount that is going to go into there each week. It's almost like our weekly money diet. If it's 400 or if it's 500, you know, however much it is, that's the amount of money that we've got for the week. And if it runs out before the end of the week, tough luck. <laughs> the good thing about it is, you know, there's going to be more on Friday or, or whatever day you chose. And so long as you fill your pantry and your car on day one, really, you're pretty much bulletproof for the rest of the week. And, and, and you know, whatever you didn't spend on food and fuel, it's yours for the fun and the incidentals. That's right, David. And do you know, what I find with my clients is that when they start to allocate that money, they go, oh, well, generally I spend maybe 200 or 250 a week on food. So let's allocate 250 for food. Well, then they start to become more frugal in their shopping. And there's a whole other topic around yep. that as well. <laughs> yep. uh, but they become a bit more frugal. And if they can save maybe 20 or $30 on their shopping, it means they've got money for the beach or the ice creams or the fish and chips or whatever, you know? Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, what I find quite amazing is the number of people who said to me, I had no idea how much I was spending. I thought that, you know, 400, 200, whatever number they chose, I thought that was about how much money we were spending each week. But, you know, when we actually put that money into an account that has a debit card, not a credit card attached to it, mm -hmm. so that we just get to spend that amount of money each week, we had no idea that we were spending so much more than that unconsciously. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it only takes a few weeks for them to, to get used to spending their allocated amount each week. And it suddenly frees up all that money that was previously just getting frittered away to do something that they really do want to do with it rather than something that they unconsciously didn't even know they were doing and, and that they wouldn't have chosen had they known. Yeah, that's right. So, so that account can make a huge difference. Oh, absolutely. And then our third account, uh, I tend to think of it as money for unpredictable or what I call rubbery expenses. I think you've got a slightly different slant on that actually, Carolyn. Well, yeah, I actually call it our life happens account because, you know, David, life happens and it happens when you least expect <laughs> Yep. You know, perfect example, I recently had a car accident. Unfortunately, that car accident was my fault. So not only did I have a fine that I had to pay, I also had a $750 excess for the repair of the car that I had to pay. So that was a lot of money out of my pocket and it wasn't coming out of my sacred money account, but it's my bills money. Yeah, yeah. And it certainly wasn't coming out of my fun and incidentals account because there was no fun. <laughs> there was no fun in having a car accident. No, no, there wasn't. So it had to come out of my life happens. So there may be people listening in who are thinking, I'm in so much debt. How can I put money away into our life happens account? I just, you know, just can't afford to do that. And in the conversation we had earlier, I really like what you said about, it's not about how much, it's about the habit and getting started. Yeah, that's right. And what I often say to my clients, and going back to my client with $180,000 in debt, all of her money was going to cover her debts and to cover those payments. And what I said to her was, I want you to open this third account. And what I suggest you do is just put in $5 a week, because then that becomes a habit. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And you know, as she started to do that and the whole, in the whole process of working with that client, we looked at another program that we'll talk about a bit later where we could organize for her debt to be paid off more efficiently in the least amount of time. And she started this habit of putting money into her account. Um, and then before too long, she would say to me, Oh my goodness, I've got $200 in that account. Yeah. And I go, 
that's awesome because the dog might get sick or the fridge might break down or the, you know, whatever. And so it's more about the habit. And so I say to my clients, I don't care how much debt you've got at this point. We'll organize a plan for that. But I want you to start this third account as well. So anybody who's read The Richest Man in Babylon would know that the principle of putting 10% of your income away to create wealth is a simple principle. But most people go, oh, but I can't do that. And so I say, put 1% and then double it to 2%. And when you get a pay rise, instead of letting that pay rise just disappear into the great unknown, take the pay rise or take half of the pay rise if you really want to be that way inclined and start putting that away. I'm going to butt in here. I want to tell you a little story about a client I had way back in the early days, Um, probably be 15 years ago. I had a guy who came on one of my training programs and he opened an account just like we're talking about here and he started saving and about oh, maybe 10 years later, I had a conversation with this guy and he said to me, he had something like 60 or $70,000 in that account and he, he loved the feeling of security that that money gave him. And I said to him, so why don't you just pay off your mortgage? And he said, no way. <laughs> I'm not going to pay off my mortgage because I just love the feeling of having that safety blanket there. Okay. You know, it had grown to such a huge amount of money that he was so content that he didn't even feel a need to pay off his mortgage because he could have paid it out in cash. Just starting that habit from little things, big things grow. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so number three, David. Okay, step three. We better get moving or we'll be here all day. Now, mm-hmm. Number three is create a clean slate. Now, when we were creating this whole process, my thinking around this was that I'd seen so many people over the years who, when this week's pay came in, they were looking at their pile of bills and many of them were overdue and they were paying the ones that were the most overdue. So with this month's income, they were paying last month's bills which meant this month's bills didn't get paid. And so they became overdue next month. And it was just a repeating cycle. It would never go away. And, you know, I could see that what was needed was to draw a line in the sand and say, right, stop. We've got to break this cycle. As of this moment, stop paying overdue accounts with this week's pay and start paying this week's bills with this week's pay. And get a plan to pay everything on time going forward And let's deal with the overdue accounts with the surplus that we can create by being astute and and, and putting a plan in place and talking to the people that you owe money to and not not just ignoring the fact that they actually care that you're not paying them. So, you know, draw a line in the sand and start paying this week's bills this week. And then when that plan is in place, work out how to deal with the damage from the past. That's what my thinking was. But I know you've actually got a different slant on this as well. So Yes. Um, So what you're saying is absolutely correct. You do need to draw a line in the sand and say from this day forward, this is how it's going to be. Yeah. But, yeah. But when I looked at Create a Clean Slate, I was thinking more about money mindset, you know, and how a couple can have a very different mindset around money. You really need to come clean with your partner about your current situation. You really need to have that conversation (laughs) good point i i agree ideally couples should not have secrets about money or anything else for that matter but it's not always possible to go down that path and i I think one of the best things about the way spending planners do what they do is that if one partner has little secrets or even big secrets 
they can stay secret if that's how they want things to go. Clearly, it's better if all the cards are on the table for all to see. But look, if they're not, it's not going to stop the spending plan from working. In fact, if I remember correctly, didn't you say your $180,000 debt client had a partner who had no idea that she was in that position? Yeah, that's very true, David. And there was a good reason for that that I won't go into, but he had no idea. I, but I was still able to work around that. It did make it more difficult, but we got there. Um, actually, while we're talking about partners and money, David, one of our current money gurus talks about having money date nights. Are these a good idea? Oh, oh, look, I don't think the word money and date could ever go together. That's like saying matches and petrol, <laughs> matches and petrol <laughs> go together. <laughs> they, they do if you want an explosion. Definitely not. I, I think if you're going to go out on a date, you know, and if we're talking dates, we're talking romance and enjoying each other's company. The last thing you want to bring up is money. <laughs> money and dates just don't go together. However, over the years, something that I have really noticed is that if couples who sit down and talk money on a regular basis are much more likely to be successful with their finances than people who don't. So I definitely recommend people have a weekly business meeting because you know running a household is, is it's really like running a business. It really is. Because you know, businesses have bills to pay and money's coming in and money's going out. They have to plan to make sure everything is going in the right direction. So if it's good for a business, it's definitely good for a couple. You know, have a weekly business meeting with your partner and, you know, get a copy, sit down together in a nice spot, maybe with some refreshments that you're going to enjoy. The whole purpose of that meeting is to talk money, but have a separate date night once a week where there's a whole purpose is not to talk money. Yeah, absolutely. You know, David, as far as I'm concerned, those date nights are for talking about your goals and plans and dreams. And your business meeting is simply talking about running the family finances. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've got a favourite saying at the Institute, when debt comes in the door, love, love goes, goes out, out the window. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I like to say to people listening in is, just imagine what your relationship could be if you got in control of this and got out of debt stress and didn't have that pressure on your relationship. Yeah, absolutely. You know, your love life, your sex life, everything could improve dramatically if you would just talk about this and sort it out and deal with it. Fix it up. Go through this eight-step process that we're talking about and come out the other side of it in a much better position all around. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just not good not talking. Absolutely not. And on that note, David, I know it's one of the hardest things for people to talk about and for people to have that conversation with each other. And so I know we talked earlier about the fact that sometimes it's good to have that third party, someone who is not emotionally involved. Look, I really hadn't thought about this angle, but you're right. I mean, the Spending Planners Institute and, and the fact that we're training spending planners, it's all about the fact that you need a coach. You, you need a, a third party, someone to break the deadlock because... You know, if you can't talk to your other half about these things, bringing the spending planner into the equation, it, it breaks the deadlock because you've got this independent third party person who, A, not only has the tools and the skills and the training to be able to help sort out the problems, but also that, you know, the B side of that is 
they're also a person who can be the referee perhaps <laughs> that, that <laughs> might that might not be the right word but you know um well you know sometimes it is david you know i worked with a young couple who in the very early stages were not able to talk civilly about their money situation the stress in that home was palpable you could you could feel it you really mm. could my parting comment on leaving would be please after i leave just be nice to each other. <laughs> so, so David, let's keep going on to number four, which is negotiate. Okay. <clears throat> so once you've actually drawn the line in the sand and said, okay, let's look at this and let's, let's get a plan together. Very rarely do you come across somebody and, and you would know this from the work that you're doing as a spending planner, Carolyn. Very rarely do you come across somebody who would not benefit from going to the people that they owe money to and negotiating a better deal. So, you know, pick up the phone and say, the bank down the road has got a better offer. What can you do? If you can't do as good as they can, I'm going to walk. Mm -hmm. That's right. So even though you might be feeling like you're really in a place where you can't negotiate, you can. David, everyone has that negotiating power. I often say to my clients, you have the right to negotiate. You have the right to negotiate your electricity bill, your phone bill, your mortgage, your debts. And even, you know, you can negotiate with credit companies. And I know on that, going back to my client with $180,000 in debt, <laughs> you know, we brought in another credit professional who has been able to negotiate much better rates for paying down that debt. Um, and, you know, just a really quick story, David. She actually, I'd actually said to her, I'd given her a little script to use and told her to ring each credit company and um, negotiate on a better deal. And she rang me after the first one, so excited because she'd been able to negotiate a better deal. She rang me after the second call and the third call. <laughs> and then um, by the fourth call, she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I promise I won't ring you anymore. And I said, look, <laughs> I said, just, just send me text messages. And do you know, for the rest of the day, I got these text messages. Oh, I had another win. Oh, this one gave me this. Oh, this one gave me yeah, that. Yeah. And it was so exciting for her. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you, you know, most business owners have alliances with people in other related businesses and spending planners are no different. They all have access to a couple of companies that we work with who specialize in this field of renegotiating debt. And when people are in diabolical circumstances, they've been, yeah. you know, they, they've been able to negotiate up to 80% reduction in outstanding debt. So mm. it might be easier to think, oh, woe is me. You know, I've got $180,000 in debt. There's nothing I can do. My, my life is not worth living. But this negotiate step in our eight-step process can have a dramatic outcome on that. Yes, absolutely. You know, and so negotiating like that is for those extreme cases. But it's also for even if you're not in debt, even if you're listening in today and you're going, oh, well, I don't have any debt. I'm doing okay. Go and get a better rate on your electricity. Go and get yeah. a better rate on your mortgage. You know, um, we negotiated ours down by a quarter of a percent just the other week just by calling our mortgage broker and saying, hey, We've had this loan now for two years. Can we negotiate a better yeah. deal? She, you know, she came back within 24 hours and said, oh, yep, we've negotiated it down by 0.25%. Awesome. Actually, I've got my mortgage broker doing that very same thing at this very moment. So negotiate. So that was step four, and it's an important one because it can make a huge difference. Absolutely can. So number five. All right. Number five, consolidate. Another eight word. So this is where you've got a whole bunch of small debts that don't look too scary on their own, but when you put them all together, it's like 180,000 maybe. How many debts did you say there was in that situation, Carolyn? 
There were 12. 12. Yep. Wow. So, so 12 little debts add up to a big debt. So the question is, is it possible to consolidate? I know a lot of people who are starting to feel the pain of debt probably have this thought as their first step. Can I go to the bank and get them to give me a personal loan? Or can I go to a credit union? Can I go to somebody and get a lower interest rate to, you know, to consolidate these debts? But in the last 15 years or so, there have been banks offering balance transfers with credit cards, which seem like a great idea. Take this credit card that's causing me grief, transfer the balance over to a new credit card where there's no interest for the first year. That's an opportunity to get in and hammer that debt down before interest charges kick in again. Yet the number of people I've heard of that have done that, but then you know what they've done? They've gone and filled up the credit card that they emptied as well as having the new full one. That has then gone the full 12 months and interest is being charged again. And it, it's, it's really quite staggering. Consolidate means to get rid of debt, not add on to it. It's a bit surprising. Another example, you could use equity in your home to borrow against. You might go and talk to your local mortgage broker and increase your mortgage to get funds to pay out a bunch of problem credit cards. But then the secret is to chop them up, close the accounts, consolidate debt. And, and one thing that really narks me is when someone realizes that they've got lots of credit cards and lots of debt, and they go to the bank to say, I want to get a personal loan to pay off all these credit cards because I'm under credit card stress. And the bank goes, oh, you've got credit card stress. No, go away. You're a bad risk. We can't help you. That really makes me angry because they're the ones who gave them the credit cards in the first place. I would really like to see a law that says whoever was the last one to add to the misery by giving another credit card or increasing the limit, there should be a legal obligation that says, okay, so you thought they were okay with this. You have to consolidate their debt into a low interest rate personal loan. <laughs> yeah, it'd be really nice, David, yeah. if that happened. But I tell you what, don't hold your breath. Um, we both know the banks are not on your side. They're about making a profit. It's not going to happen. No. So number six. Okay. Number six, calculate and contemplate. There are so many eight words here. It's not funny. Calculate. <laughs> so spending planners have access to software that I created called Debt Buster. And the Debt Buster software is all about looking at the bigger picture of all the debts that you've got and crunching the numbers to work out what's the most efficient way and what's, what's the fastest way to get those debts paid off. Now, I know that some of the money gurus out there will say, well, what you should do is take whatever surplus income you can muster up and throw it at your smallest debt. Get that one paid off so that when it's gone, you can take that payment that was going to the smallest debt and pay it off or, or snowball it up to the next size debt. And then when that one's gone, take all the repayment money from that one and snowball up to the next biggest debt and so on. And while a lot of people would say, oh, that's a great idea because I like the emotional boost from paying off the smallest debt faster, it is definitely not necessarily the best way to do it. Because if you've got an interest rate of 30% on one credit card and 12% on another, and the 12% is the smaller of the two, why would you not pay off the one that's bleeding the fastest? Because it's costing you so much extra. Yeah, that's that right. Doesn't make sense to me. But that's what some gurus are out there promoting. So anyway, calculate the fastest way to get these debts paid off and then work to the plan. And the other thing with Debt Buster is that it not only shows you the fastest way, but also the way to pay the least amount of interest. Yep, exactly. So the other part of that step is contemplate. 
And I just, I, I really like the word contemplate. And I pop that one in there mainly to say to people, you know what, you've been on a journey and the first five steps aren't necessarily easy, but they definitely are doable with a little bit of effort and a little bit of time. So when they get to step six and I say contemplate, what I want people to do is just contemplate the bigger picture, yep. contemplate what it might mean to you. If you can start saving $50 a week, that's $2,600 a year that you could then put towards a holiday or, you know, just have a bit of fun with, or even just have extra money for Christmas or whatever. Um, the other thing that I want our li listeners today to really contemplate though, is the value of having a spending plan. Because, you know, there are so many budgeting apps out there that people can use, but they're all based around you looking at what's happened in the past and trying to predict what's going to happen in the future based on that history. I'm yet to meet anyone who wants to repeat last year, next year. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's, you know, so there's really no value in trying to create a budgeting app based on what's happened in the past. Yeah. Um, what makes a spending plan different and so powerful is that it doesn't depend on income or pay cycles. It's not interested in what's happened in the past. It focuses on expenses instead of income and it creates a, a roadmap for the best possible next 12 months and beyond. And I know I'm preaching to the converted yeah. here, but for our listeners, you know, <laughs> a spending plan gives you two important numbers. Firstly, how much you need to deposit to your plan each pay cycle to make it work. And secondly, the plan comes up with a figure that you need to have in your bank account on each and every day into the future to allow your expenses to be paid on time, every time. Yep. Yep. We call this figure the missing number and it's why no other budgeting tool works as well as a spending plan. They just don't give you the complete picture. Having a spending plan is a lot like having your perfect bank statement for the next 12 months in advance. Or another way to think about it is it's like having a crystal ball attached to your bank account. Yeah, I know. You can see the future. It's awesome. Exactly. Um, also contemplate the thing with spending plan is that you can actually see the bigger picture. You can see a 10 year picture. And so you can then start to contemplate. Start, contemplate start dreaming again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's just taking that stress and pressure. So you've done a little bit of hard work now, you know, just calculate, um, calculate your debt buster journey, get all that sorted. Um, and now just contemplate your new future go have a date night and talk about it. Talk about, don't talk about your money. Talk about your, <laughs> talk about your goals and dreams. I have a book written by a guy called Bode Schaefer. And when he talks about negotiating your debt, he, he basically says, you don't need to tell the people you owe money to when you're negotiating that you have a little bit of surplus. Like you just mentioned $50 a week. That's going to be me money. He, he says it's really important. You know, it, it might seem like you should be giving everything you can to getting yourself out of debt as quickly as you can, but you've got to think of your mental health. If you can't put a little bit away each week and think that's going to give me a little bit of fun, how are you going to get up every morning and go to work? And you know, you'll just be dragging your feet, dragging everything. You'll just be thinking, Oh, everything I'm doing, it's, it's just debt, 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 getting out of debt. So I absolutely agree with this. It may seem like, oh, it's not the right thing to do to put a little bit of money away for you aside, but it's really important for you to be able to have some hope for a better future so you can keep getting up in the morning and feel like there's a reason to be doing this. Oh, 
So, so important, David. Absolutely. Yep. I absolutely like that step. Yep. And I often say to my clients, you know, when we set all of this up and we set this process in place, I say to them, you've always got to have a lifestyle balance. You know, you're not working 60 hours a week or 50 hours a week just to pay <laughs> your debt. You'll have to drag yourself out of bed every day. Not fun. <laughs> okay. So step six was calculate and contemplate. Step seven is separate. <laughs> more, more eight. Now I'm not talking about getting a divorce here. No, no, don't do that. No, <laughs> no I, I'm talking about separating yourself from your money. Because in most cases, you've been your own worst enemy. You've gotten yourself into this situation because you've done things that you probably shouldn't have done, but you did them. So now you've got a plan. You've got a whole strategy in place. You do not want to go back and mess things up again and make things worse. So you need to put some kind of a barrier between you and the plan that you've put in place. Yeah. What we said in step two was that very important step that I wanted everyone to remember. And it was separating your money into those three accounts. Yep. Yep, this is basically taking yourself out of the equation. And that also is why you have a spending planner, because they help to hold you accountable to the entire plan once you've set it up. Yeah. Separate yourself from the ability to mess things up. Now, the last step in our eight-step process is a fun one. Yes, it is. Congratulate, congratulate yourself and celebrate. Let's have a party. So do we have to wait, you know, four years, three years, two years for this or? No, 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 absolutely not. David, you know what? Those steps in one to seven, um, just going quickly back to my client with $180,000 in debt, you know, um, I would say probably four months after we started working together, I started to congratulate her because I couldn't believe the amazing job she was doing. She was listening, following the steps and doing everything that she needed to do. And she was loving the freedom. She made the comment to me, I'm now sleeping well at night. Yep. 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 So uh, we congratulated and we celebrated that she was actually having a good night's sleep. Yep. yep. So every time one of those little milestones, like when one of those credit cards gets paid off or your, the, your, you know, your life happens account reaches $100 or $200, you go out on your first date night and you celebrate. Absolutely, yes. And, and you don't have to be throwing a whole lot of money at celebrating, especially when you don't have a lot of money. Just go and do something to celebrate and acknowledge that your life's improving, your stress is going away, you can sleep at night, and just enjoy the fact that you've turned the, the corner and started to come good. Yeah, absolutely. So, David, I've said, you know, I've said there, celebrate the milestones, just the little things. Celebrate your new mindset around money. The fact that you're now having that weekly business meeting and you can talk about money without creating, you know, that argument. And start to enjoy each other's company and plan a future together. Exactly. So celebrate the new bank account, celebrate that new little savings account, even if it's just $5 a week, you know, you're now at the start of a new financial journey and you're heading towards that 10 year plan of goals yep. and dreams. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's recap. We've got the eight step process. Step one, don't procrastinate. Step two, uncomplicate. Three, create a clean slate. Four, negotiate, get a better deal. Step five, consolidate. Step six, calculate, contemplate. Seven, separate yourself from your money plan so you can't mess it up. And step eight, celebrate and congratulate. Yep, awesome. So they're all the eights on our eight-step process. 
hopefully people listening in today have found this topic of great interest and of use because there is nothing worse than living a life where you've got your stomach tied in a knot all the time. You can't sleep. It's no good for your health. It's no good for you. It's no good for your spouse. It's no good for your kids. It's just no good for anybody. Mm, that's right. So you can't even work properly in that case, actually. You're probably more likely to get the sack when you're stressed about money because you can't even think properly at work. So remember our statistic right from the beginning of our podcast where we stated two in five Australians are battling financial stress with an increase in sick days and time spent in the workplace dealing with money issues. Take the eight-step process, get yourself out of debt and turn your life around. Well, that brings us to the end of episode two. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've gained some valuable insight from what we've shared with you. We can't wait to share more in episode three on how to stay in control of your finances and grow. And you can get access to more of our podcasts by going to spendingplannersinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Bye for now. Bye.